involved in school. In any event, uh, let's uh, wish the Red Wings luck tonight. Uh, today is maybe the first whiff of summer we've had here in southeast Michigan after a delightful April, but a kind of a chilly May, and uh, it would be appropriate to... Uh, Oh, I don't know, cap off this uh, wonderful weather we've been having the last several days with a Red Wing victory down in Motown. Let's go Red Wings. Obviously a somewhat interesting week with the uh, new revelation of Scott McClellan's book. I haven't read it yet, uh, but uh, I don't think... Uh, as the experts point out that there's anything particularly new, there are some interesting revelations, and I'm sure that I will read it. But I think that the uh, public campaign by the Bush loyalists and the talking points that were obviously in, evident all week, in evidence all week, that this was a disgruntled man who was, quote, out of the loop and shad is really a kind of uh, a joke. I mean, this is just a young guy that was... I mean, he was the backup. Uh, he was the assistant to uh, Ari Fleischer, and he wasn't in charge of the... The original silver-tongued devil. Yeah, yeah. Now, he, he's got some things to answer for, but the criticism that Scott McClellan should have spoken up is really kind of bizarre. I mean, he's, he's a bureaucrat. He's a young guy looking to make it in Washington. An apparatchik. An apparatchik. Yeah, were once called. A guy that came along to Washington with the Bush team so to speak. And I think what this is, I think it's pretty self-evident that this is a case of a guy's conscience just getting the better of him over time. And uh, he has an important story to tell. And uh, clearly the concept of the permanent campaign is supported by all of the facts. Uh, all of the propaganda that was used to start the war in Iraq is supported by the facts. In fact, George Bush was the number one teller of lies to the public as a nonpartisan group has documented just a couple of months ago. I think they documented 953, at least 953 public false statements with George Bush leading the way at 252. So, well, and anybody on board that team who uh, who did speak up, uh, basically it was uh, shut up and get off the team. I mean, uh, it's simple career advancement on one level to uh, get along and go along. But, uh, well, you can see the punishments that were meted out to those who may have voiced some uh, reservations whatsoever. Colin Powell, uh, his book will be, I think, the most interesting one should it yeah. ever uh, come to uh, be. Well, I think Rumsfeld's will be very interesting too, because the you know the the public has a perception that Rumsfeld was always the the bad guy, and in some cases he was, but in some cases uh, a willing tool, a willing tool. But in some cases, his advice was eschewed for yeah. uh, other reasons. And uh, Condoleezza Rice uh, remains the enigma wrapped in a riddle. Um, submerged in incoherence. <laughs> so, um, how shall we put it? Sex in the city, death in the country. And uh, very interestingly, by the way, I, I, the, the New Nation magazine has a 
homage to the Harper's Index, uh, courtesy uh, compiled by David Morris, a former Marine who uh, has been embedded in Iraq as a reporter for the Virginia Quarterly hmm. Review and Salon. This in the June 9th edition of The Nation magazine. Percentage of Iraqis displaced by the war, 20. American cost of the Iraq war per second as of March 2008, $4,563.18. That's per second. Wow. Total number of coalition personnel in Iraq at the height of the surge, quote-unquote, including all contractors and civilian support personnel, 343,100. By the way, about 165,000 of those are troops, so that gives you an idea of what's actually going on there. Total number of actual U.S. combat troops at the height of the surge, excluding support personnel, 38,000. Number of police officers in New York City, 37,000. Revealing. Uh, number of embedded journalists during March 2003 invasion, 775. Number of embedded journalists during March 2008, 23. Number of U.S. killed and wounded, Hue City, Vietnam, 1968, 147, to 857. Number of U.S. killed and wounded in Fallujah, Iraq, 2004, 104, 1,110, which suggests that the Fallujah siege was very comparable to the so-called Tet Offensive. Number of Iraqi veterans diagnosed with post-traumatic stress syndrome, 300,000. Number of troops stop lost, 58,300. Coincidentally, by the way, uh, about the number of casualties in Vietnam over those uh, 14 years. Number of troops deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan since 2001, 1,668,000. Number of troops deployed after being declared medically unfit, 43,000. And finally, the cost of the Iraq war during one edition of Gray Matters, $821,372.40. Almost a million dollars. It's and, amazing. And what do you get for your money? Exactly. You get George Bush. The man with no friends. <laughs> That's a lovely picture. It's uh, a great picture. April 4th, uh, page 810 of the uh, New York Times. It's almost like a shot from a Kurosawa film uh, where you've got people looking in about 15 different directions. <laughs> yeah. All away from the lonely figure. Who's at the center of the picture. Framed in the center here. He's surrounded but by... Nobody wants to talk to him. 14 guys all looking away. The, the NATO <laughs> contingency. And of course the... The story uh, is from the uh, April 4th edition of the New York Times. Headline, NATO backs missile defense in Europe but rejects admitting Georgia and Ukraine. And there he is, our pet goat. <laughs> well, when you talk about that kind of money uh, being thrown around, of course, there's still uh, aftermath and even fairly recently aftershocks and the earthquake in China. And an interesting article in uh, today's Financial Times, just I want to 
briefly connect it to the sort of uh, bizarrely extravagant spending that you've just detailed. Yeah, and let's give the Bush administration a uh, collective brain damage award for uh, the effort to swift boat Scott McClellan. Right. (laughs) Well, I'm sure he'll have that chance again because I think uh, these sorts of books are going to continue to. And, of course, Rumsfeld will try to distance himself and, you know, do a little, to make another Kurosawa reference, uh, rewrite Rashomon from his own perspective there. Um, That's quite uh, to be expected. But anyway, there's this interesting article uh, by uh, Jamil Anderlini in uh, the Financial Times about how the Communist Party in China has gone on a bit of a real estate boom of its own previous to this earthquake, spending elaborate funds on buildings essentially to house government offices, uh, particularly $4.3 million to spend uh, on the construction of a uh, large Baroque palace that locals refer to as the White House, Uh although it bears a greater resemblance to the U.S. Capitol building in Washington, D.C. Well, this was completed in 2003, you know, brilliantly decorated with the emblem of the Communist Party and flags of flutter and all that. Um, but it's built in a province where the average rural citizen earns about $29 a month. And the main point of this article uh, is that uh, the government in China is under a great criticism now because of the large number of schools that collapsed in the earthquake and that these schools were built on the cheap. And, of course, fortunately, we haven't had any uh, earthquakes or school collapses here in uh, this country. But it's remarkable to stop and contemplate this very sad reality. Most countries spend extravagant amounts of money on weaponry, munitions, and the technology of death and uh, control. And uh, children and education and schools are usually pretty short in the uh, handout of uh, funding. Mm-hmm. If you stop and realize that, you know, if every country in the world spent one-third of what it spends on military matters on schools, it's almost impossible to imagine what sort of positive changes that might uh, result in for the world. I mean, a million dollars a half hour. You know, throw a couple of extra half hours of spending towards schools. You know, here in Ann Arbor, we're fairly lucky. Things are, you know, somewhat run down as they are everywhere, but uh, things are not as bad as they could be. Uh, there's plenty of places here in this great land of ours uh, where the schools are decidedly subpar. The water is unfit for drinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, the books are way outdated. The facilities are uncomfortable because they're too hot. Uh, numbers and numbers of problems. And, and, and let's face it, if there was a 7.9 earthquake and. <laughs> Some parts of the United States, there would be thousands of children there would possibly be. killed as well. Because right. what ultimately kills people, unfortunately, in earthquakes is stone. You know, mm-hmm. it's the it's the shifting of the basic foundation. And you know, unless you have incredibly high standard uh, construction uh, concepts, which of course are urban schools. I mean, come on, these things were built in the 30s and the right. 40s. They, I old. mean, the junior high that I went to would be a pile of rubble yep and uh there would probably be few survivors so i think uh it's it's pretty lame to jump on the 
let's blame China syndrome, uh, a la Sharon Stone. I was going to say the bizarre Sharon Stone thing. She may as well jump into a uh, life preserver with Pat Robertson. You know, who said the same sort of thing about, well, this is why things happen, you know, so we have hurricanes yeah, because of, uh, you know, the wrong people having the wrong kind of sex. You know, and she made a mistake, obviously. She's, quote, apologized for it, and I think she got a little bit carried away with the, uh, what is she, she's Buddhist and the yeah. concept of karma and all that, and... You know, we can appreciate that she kind of Judeo-Christianized the punishment element yeah, of she, karma. Yeah, she she got a little uh, biblical. <laughs> this time it's biblical. Herman Hesse was uh, <laughs> forgotten. Um, uh, duh. Yeah, <laughs> that can be the new uh, chant for uh, Sharon Stone. But sure yeah, Richard Gere will straighten her out. Yeah, we'll give her a a, a little bit of a break, but a, a brain damage nonetheless. For uh, strange comments, um, and you know it's very interesting because apparently there's been a lot of fallout about it, and there's mm. uh, b- been some pressure put on some of her. You know, she makes money advertising right. products. I mean, she's not the the greatest actress of all time. She is a very attractive woman, right? Um, and man, I love Casino. That is a great movie. Cool. Uh, one of Scorsese's best, I might add. Uh, and she stars in it. Um, but yeah, she uh, she blew it. But well, at least she's not guilty of war crimes. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, she's merely an entertainer who sort of stumbled and misspoke and overstepped her bounds, however you want to put it. We'll give um, her, you know... Half an hour of detention for that right. four-second indiscretion. But, uh, she's not in a position to be punitive about such yeah. things uh, or to actually, uh, you know, she's not an official. Or, or for instance, I mean, let's compare this to uh, what happened last week. Uh, it's fascinating that uh, many nations around the world have organized to ban cluster bombs. Um, and we have a letter in today's New York Times by Daniel Allen co-coordinator of uh, the United States campaign to ban landmines, this issue, of course, cluster bombs. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know what the statistics are on cluster bombs in Iraq uh, bombed uh, by the American uh, and British Air Force back in the 90s, as well as in this recent uh, <clears throat> War of Liberation, um, or, say, the Israeli cluster bombs Supplied by the United States in the... Extensively uh, used uh, two summers ago. Yeah, recent uh, Lebanon uh, incursion. At least they didn't say it Episode. was about liberation. But uh, <laughs> anyway, um, this letter is, is worth uh, reading in its entirety because it's pretty short, so I, I'll, I'll read it. He says, I was perplexed by the claim by a spokesman for the State Department that a ban on cluster munitions would, quote, put the lives of our soldiers and those of our coalition partners at risk. Even a cursory examination of past use of cluster munitions show that the opposite is true. During Operation Desert Storm in 1991, according to the GAO uh, 2002 report, the United States cluster munitions, quote, caused delays in movement on the battlefield and were responsible for 80 troop casualties. Cluster munitions claim the lives and limbs of too many civilians 
and the American and Allied soldiers because of their indiscriminate nature. These weapons cover an area the size of several football fields with deadly shrapnel at the time of use, and many cluster munitions don't explode on impact, becoming de facto land mines. It's time for the United States to follow the example set by more than 100 other governments and ban these bombs. This coming from the State Department spokesman, Condoleezza Rice. That's her department. She gets a official brain damage award. Because she's in a position to do something about that. Yes, but she apparently had time last week rather than dealing with this significant issue of joining the cavalcade of Scott McClellan debunkers. Well, and if, you know, ultimately wars are not won by munitions at all, but by the so-called battle for hearts and minds, I can't think of anything that would be more poisonous in that battle than a cluster bomb, Mm -hmm. because it's farmers who unearth them when they're trying to sow their crops, it's children who stumble upon them and uh, lose arms, you know, limbs, you know, life, um, well after the, the hostilities have in fact ceased quite often. So uh, they're a, a demented weapon, and certainly the United States should show some class and try to regain some credibility by uh, joining such a ban. I don't think it's likely to happen, though, under the current tenure. No, uh, not when the United States is, uh, well, even contemplating the... Uh the, the, quote, strategic use of nuclear weapons still and other <laughs> various demented war policies of the American government. Obviously, tomorrow is going to be the end of this uh, presidential campaign that's gone on way too long. Um, just fascinating um, stuff that's happened, really, since the Texas-Ohio primary. You probably talked a little bit last week about uh, Hillary's uh, RFK reference. Well, I didn't, um, because I personally thought it was a little blown out of proportion, but I I will. The problem that that occurs here is that Hillary Clinton was trained as a lawyer. So when she presents, you know, basically positions in in, in formulating an argument, you do sometimes have to wonder. Um, I, of course, don't for one second think that she was suggesting. In other words, the media sort of made a leap of inference here. Mm. And it is unfortunate that she, I mean, the quote is, uh, you know my husband did not wrap up the nomination in 92 until he won the California primary sometime in the middle of June, right? We all remember Bobby Kennedy was assassinated in June of California, um, in California. So, yeah, there's a a little bizarre in terms of the argument. Awkward segue there, you might say. Yeah, particularly in view of the fact that Edward Kennedy had, you know, it had been disclosed that week that he uh, had brain cancer and indeed uh, goes under uh, for surgery. Was operated on. today and tomorrow or, or you know he's being prepped today for yeah. tomorrow yeah with his head they're gonna have to do a lot of prepping <laughs> it's large it's the size of a dumpster according to one uh not so friendly critic of ted kennedy but uh, we love ted kennedy down here i think uh it's beyond dispute that 
he is the greatest senator of the second half of the 20th century uh, in terms of his contribution to uh, humanity, in terms right. of what Decency. he stood for, what he's sponsored. Uh, yeah, he's cut some deals with some conservatives to get, quote, things done, but that's the way the system works. And uh, Ted Kennedy was, in fact, the best critic of the war debate uh, in October of 2002 when Carl mm. uh, Rove was orchestrating a, a re-election uh, ploy for uh, vulnerable members in Congress uh, as well as uh, his, his own president. Because if you go back and you actually check the polls, one of the contributing factors to why we went to war in Iraq was uh, George Bush's declining mm -hmm. approval numbers. Uh, and, of course, those were connected to the economy. I'm going to talk a little bit about the Kennedy, RFK, Kennedy assassination next week. But um, one interesting historical perspective that I wanted to give to listeners out there, and I, I just finished a very interesting book entitled Bobby and J. Edgar uh, by Burton Hirsch. I'm not absolutely sure if this is Seymour Hirsch's brother, but he bears a striking Boy, resemblance really does to, look like him, yeah. Um, so I, I'm going to investigate that, but he, he, he resembles Seymour, and it's possible that he is his brother. And Seymour, by the way, has, has written about the Kennedys. But uh, it's very interesting when you go back and you actually look at the historical facts. And th th in this case, I'm going to uh, defend uh, Hillary Clinton, you know, playing the season out, because she does have legitimate arguments. Uh, I don't agree with some of them, but... There's nothing hurting the Democratic Party by her staying in. I think that the media has hurt Barack Obama, uh, you know, over the last two months, and he's had a, a couple of gaffes of his own, but some of the gaffes are um, the media overplaying their arguments. And uh, interestingly, in today's Ann Arbor News, Clarence Page actually has an interesting observation by Michael Kinsley where he famously said that, quote, a gaffe in Washington is when somebody tells the truth. Um, the Hillary Clinton, quote, gaffe. As in a Freudian slip, like, yeah. oops, yeah. didn't mean to didn't say that Didn't mean to yeah. say that. But anyway, getting back to the, uh, the interesting chronology of Bobby Kennedy's quote, surge in the primary. And these are just numbers from this book. Uh, you know, the Bobby Kennedy, of course, was killed uh, in Los Angeles uh, close to uh, midnight Eastern Standard Time, um, you know, ce celebrating the victory in California. A victory, by the way, that was by a total of four points. He beat McCarthy 46 to 42. Uh, earlier, he had lost to Eugene McCarthy in Oregon, uh, 38.8% to 44.7%, and he had beaten Mac uh, McCarthy in Indiana, 42 to 31%. Now, Humphrey was also lurking in the background. He was cutting deals with uh, union bosses and people like Richard Daly and uh, other political apparatchiks uh, that... Uh, Finally, the Democratic Party got rid of, but I threw these numbers out here just to show you that by no means was Bobby Kennedy assured of any nomination uh, because he'd gotten into the race. And incidentally, in New Hampshire, uh, when Eugene McCarthy beat uh, 
or he got 42% of the primary vote and won 20 of the 24 delegates, LBJ decided to drop out on March 31st. Hmm. Bobby Kennedy got into the race shortly thereafter. The interesting reportage in this book by Burton Hirsch, and it's probably nothing terribly new, was that Teddy Kennedy was supposed to deliver the message well before uh, March 31st that uh, Bobby was going to get into the race, and he never did. So McCarthy's supporters have always argued that Kennedy took advantage of Lyndon Johnson's exit to get into the race and that he wasn't going to run for president. And uh, we will go in next week to some of the shall we say, uninvestigated aspects of the RFK assassination and certainly J. Edgar Hoover's um, questionable role in promulgating the lone nut, the lone nut gunman theory. Well, that year is just so fascinating, and not simply because it's the 40th anniversary of 1968 this year, but so many real crucial watershed moments, sure. both culturally and politically. And, of course, it's interesting to contemplate that even if Bobby Kennedy hadn't joined that race, that the Democratic Party, as it was then being run uh, by the Mayor Dailies and so forth, would probably have done everything they could uh, to work against a Eugene McCarthy candidacy and uh, would have been pushing for Hubert all along. Yeah, and, of course, George Wallace was also in the race. Correct. Um, and in fact, I don't remember the precise facts um you know he ended up running as an american independent but he was a quote democrat in actuality and in fact there's fascinating um uh investigations into richard nixon's conduct in the 72 election in which he pretty much threatened george wallace with governmental irs investigations etc etc if he ran as an independent encouraging him to run as a Democrat, which he did. And he was winning votes and indeed won electoral votes in the uh, 68 election, Mm -hmm. carrying uh, several of those. um, Some of the states where the civil rights movement was really uh, vicious uh, in terms of how the uh, white segregationists were right. fighting back the the water cannons, the Birmingham church mm-hmm. bombing, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, 68, a very important year, Martin Luther King was assassinated. We have these uh, terrible uh, uh, massacres that occurred in Mexico City right before the Olympics. Yep. <laughs> uh, the student movement uh, globally in many uh, places. Riots in uh, Paris, in yeah. London, and uh, all over college campuses in the uh, U.S., of course. And... Uh, that's when you began to see the large influx of heroin uh, flooding into the drug culture, too, um, from 1968 right through uh, to the early 70s, um, as is so well accounted in Alfred McCoy's politics of uh, heroin in Southeast Asia. Yeah, and, and being <laughs> flown in for questionable reasons um, with uh, possible <sighs> complicity with certain elements of the American military. I don't think that the top upper echelons were approving such activity, but certainly there was some shenanigans going on by gosh knows who. Well, those in a position to uh, abuse uh, power and authority. It's uh... And, of course, the Tet Offensive, which we yep. peripherally mentioned earlier. Um, you know, and I was actually c- kind of startled by that. uh, uh 
those numbers uh, comparing Hue City, uh, Vietnam, in '68 to the uh, Fallujah um, American assault uh, in two, in 2004. Hmm. And of course, the Fallujah, by the way, was in response to the uh, the hanging of those uh, Blackwater contractors from the bridge. Yep. It was basically retaliation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You ain't going to mess with us. Um, That's, of course, one of the sadder and most barbaric things about warfare in general is that uh, atrocities are committed on all sides, unfortunately. Well, and and those who participate, even if they're caught up in the frenzy of fear or the insanity of a moment, are haunted uh, themselves forever afterwards by their actions. Um, I think Free Speech Radio News had an excellent uh, presentation on Memorial Day in which they allowed a number of uh, soldiers who'd served time in Iraq to talk about their own uh, suffering. I mean, their Mm -hmm. own experiences and how, although they're glad to have survived and glad to have helped their brothers-in-arms survive, I mean, ultimately, whatever reason a war is declared for, the guys who end up uh, positioned to fight it are fighting not for concepts or for ideology, but to get their ass out of there. Sure. And uh, so on that human uh, level, you can even pity those who perpetrate in war crimes. The war crimes that are essentially unforgivable because they're so infrequently punished are the the higher-ups, the perpetrators, the concept pushers, Mm -hmm. the, the flagrant liars. These are the ultimate war criminals, the guys who are forced to participate on the ground. Uh, to a quote, obey orders. Correct. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if we just go by the uh, standards of uh, one of the probably most important uh, judicial moments in human history, the Nuremberg trials. Mm-hmm. And it, it's quite clear-cut, by the way, that the United States has violated international law in starting the war in Iraq. I mean, that's just indisputable. Um the, you know, the United States can make claims about uh, threats and all that, but facts are facts. The, there was no threat. Uh, there was no act of war committed by Iraq against the United States. Uh, in fact, the United States had been bombing Iraq and imposing sanctions on Iraq well before this uh, latest war even started uh, with absolutely incredible, you know, loss of life when you go back and you investigate the official estimates of the impact of sanctions uh, on the Iraqi people, which, of course, you know, the officials in charge have blamed on Saddam Hussein, and he certainly bears some of the responsibility. Um, But, uh, yeah, it's uh, sad. Indeed. Well, somebody else who's a little sad. It's gone gone beyond disgruntlement. It's uh, sad. Okay, you are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. We're probably going to run over a little bit here as uh, we await Yazoo City Calling, but that's worth uh, sticking around for. Um, interesting article uh, by Liz Sadotti in, uh, from the Associated Press. It appears in today's Ann Arbor News with a sort of a bizarre statement, but what would you expect from John McCain's campaign spokeswoman? Um, she says... And the article is about how McCain's accessibility is tapering off, that he's becoming more formal. He's, uh, you know, allowing uh, the journalist to hang out with him a little bit less. Um, He's not doing any more of those ask me anything sessions. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's showtime. So he's got to behave and to say the very right thing. 
But um, Jill Hazelbacher, uh, McCain's campaign spokeswoman, says that he's still the most accessible candidate in the history of presidential campaigns. Well, I'll be. Um, but I don't believe that for a second. No. I mean, I, there's probably, you know, half a dozen candidates we could name. 